0: I am a 90s baby, and my parents probably hate The Lion King because I'm sure that they probably watched it 100 plus times, and, but I watched it 100 plus times and loved it every time. Uh, but in The Lion King, I mean, y'all know the plot, so, you know, th- there's the epic moment of Simba, you know, being held up on the rock at the top of the world, and then his dad, Mufasa, gets killed, and so he's exiled and he thinks his life's over with, and, but then eventually he returns and he's the king. And that's kind of like our life, up and ups and downs, right? Sometimes from the highest of mountains, we find ourselves in the deepest of valleys, and then we find ourselves back on another mountain again. And then inevitably, we'll find ourselves back in a valley. That, that Especially as believers, that's what our life looks like a lot of times, highs and lows. Um, and that's definitely the case in the story of Elijah. Um, so Elijah was a prophet, and a prophet's job is to hear from God and proclaim the message that God gives him to the people. And as you can imagine, being a prophet is not an easy task, especially when the message that God gives is a negative one. Uh, and so, for example, Elijah, God told Elijah that a drought was coming, and so Elijah had to tell the king that a drought's coming. No one wants to go through a drought, right? Obviously, especially back in that time, uh, a drought means no food, it means no water, it means a struggle. So, Elijah had to give bad news, and, you know, you've heard the term, don't shoot the messenger. I feel like prophets probably had to say that all the time. Like, hey, I'm just telling you what God told me. I did not choose for there to be a drought, but, you know, Elijah had to, had to tell bad news. And in his day, he was in a war against a prophet called, ba- or a, a false god called Baal. And Baal was, a, was this god of fertility, of weather, wind, lightning, and Jezebel. I'm sure you've probably heard of Jezebel before. She was a very evil lady, and she was the daughter of the king uh, at the time, and she convinced the king to institute Baal worship in Israel. So Israel, the people of God, the people of Isaac and Abraham, they were worshiping this false god called Baal because Jezebel kind of instituted it. And so Elijah's job was to tell people about the true God, which is Yahweh, Jesus, or is God, Jesus. And so just kind of set up this epic showdown, and we're not going to read this verse for verse in chapter 18, but I'm going to kind of tell you about it, so just put your listening ears on for a minute. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to talk about it. Uh, Father, thank you so much for this morning, Lord. Thank you so much for this beautiful time of worship we just had, and uh, Father, we just pray that this morning that you would teach us something from your word, Lord, that you would, that you would show us something that we could learn from the story of Elijah, Father, and uh, just Be with us this morning, Father. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be here. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So there's this epic showdown. Elijah is is fighting the prophets of Baal. He is is on a mission to show Israel that Yahweh is the true God, not Baal. Uh, And Jezebel had killed all of the prophets of, of Yahweh, basically except for Elijah. And so it was this thing of he was like, it was almost like another David versus Goliath story. It was Elijah versus the prophets of Baal, of Baal. And there were 450 prophets of Baal, and there was one Elijah. And so Elijah kind of proposed this, this thing. He said, let's go to the top of this mountain, and we're going to, we're going to make an altar. The, the, the prophets of Baal are going to make an altar, and I'm going to make an altar. And you choose any, any calf you want, any bull that you want, and you place it on that altar. And prophets of Baal, you pray to Baal for Baal to set this altar on fire. And I'll pray to Yahweh to set this altar on fire. And whichever God sets the altar on fire is going to be the true God. And so imagine the faith it took for Elijah to, to propose this because it's 1 verses 450. If, if he fails, if God does not set the altar on fire, he's surely going to be killed, right? I mean, there, he doesn't stand a chance. He's going to be humiliated. He's going to be killed. It's, it's a huge, huge step of faith for him to do this. And this was on Mount Carmel in front of all of Israel. And so, Elijah told the prophets of Baal to go first. So, they make their altar, they choose their bull, they put it there, and they start praying to Baal to to set it on fire. And a couple hours went by, they're praying, they're dancing, they're crying, they even started cutting themselves, and uh, Elijah kind of mocked them, which I think is really funny. And I encourage you to go read this for yourself if you don't believe this, but Elijah says, what is your God doing? Is he, is he taking a nap or is he using the restroom? Why is he not, why is he not answering your prayer? Uh, and so they kept on praying, kept on crying out for hours and nothing happened. And so they gave up. And then it was Elijah's turn. And uh, Elijah did something kind of crazy. He, he said, dig a trench around my, around my altar and pour water over the bull and over the altar. And they poured water over it. And so much so that the trench filled all the way up. So it was completely soaking wet. And as you know with fire, it's hard to light something that's wet on fire. So they do this, the water's filled up, and Elijah says, praise to God, and he says, God, prove to Israel that you're the true God. And he's praying to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh. And immediately fire came down from heaven and burned up that altar and the bull to complete ashes. So God answered, answered Elijah's prayer. And Then Elijah and the people seized those 450 prophets of Baal, killed them, they were gone. So imagine being Elijah in that moment. I mean, wow, like, the the highest of mountains you could possibly be. You took this huge leap of faith. God showed up in this amazing, powerful way, like, just something crazy. Like, Elijah had to be on the top of the mountain. And then, after that, so I told you that Elijah had prophesied that there was going to be a drought. Right after that, rain came. So, I mean, Elijah was thinking to himself, man, God showed the people of Israel that he's the true God. Like, rain came. Like, the people of Israel are going to turn back to God now. Like, the the leadership, like, there's no way they could deny deny God. And so Elijah was at the top of this mountain. Uh, But we're going to pick up in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, and we're going to see what happened after that. So we'll start in verse 1. It says, Ahab told Jezebel, All that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more so also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and sat down under a broom tree. And he arose and ate and drank, and he went into the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. There he came to a cave, and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of abel Maloah, you shall anoint him to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So, we're just going to kind of talk through this. We're just going to kind of go through this and, and talk through it. And as you can see, uh, Elijah, after this intense mountaintop experience, he expected all the people of Israel, including the leadership, to turn to Yahweh, right? But that didn't happen. Um, he, he, uh, Jezebel came and, and said, hey, I kill, let's have Elijah killed. He never expected that to happen. He thought the people would turn back to him, to God. And so this drove Elijah into the wilderness. See, Elijah thought his purpose as a prophet was to turn the people of God back to Israel right then and there. But God had a different plan. And so when that plan that Elijah had in his mind didn't come to fruition, it drove him deep into the wilderness. Um, And he lost his will to live. If you look at verse four, uh, it says, he asked that he might die, saying, is it enough now, O Lord? Take away my life, for I am no better than my fathers. Have you ever been there in your life? in a place in your life where you just said, I don't want to be here anymore, I, I, I can't do this anymore. Um, Elijah was afraid. He was scared because what he thought was going to happen didn't happen. Um, and really, if we think about it, fear is the denial of God's sovereignty. When we're afraid, we, we, are, we are denying God's sovereignty. We are not trusting him because we know the plan he has for us. Uh, even after such a miraculous show of power, Elijah lost faith. And I know that is so often true of myself. God has worked in my life in so many ways, and the second something goes wrong or something that I think uh, happens that not the way I think it should, I lose faith. See, Elijah didn't trust that God had a plan to restore Israel, even though Elijah knew that God had told him he was going to restore Israel to himself. When Elijah thought he was going to be killed by Jezebel, he lost that trust. He was depressed. Um... But see, even in Elijah's state of depression and in his state of of hopelessness, God had compassion on him. We see twice that an angel came to Elijah when he was in the wilderness under that broom tree and offered him food and water, right? God cared for Elijah. He gave him what he needed to make it through. And it was enough to sustain Elijah for 40 days and 40 nights as he traveled to, to Mount Horeb. And if you think about this, there's sort of a parallel right here to, to the life of Jesus. So if you think about the New Testament and Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, right? Kind of the start of his ministry and that was a high point in his life. But then he went into the, de- into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to prepare to be tempted by Satan. And so kind of Jesus had this high moment into kind of this low moment of being in the wilderness. And see, the, the people reading the New Testament would have immediately recognized this parallel. The, the Jewish audience reading the New Testament originally would have recognized this parallel because they knew this story so well of Elijah, but us, we have to do work to, to understand these kind of things. We have to dig into scripture. We have to know the whole story to be able to draw these connections, and so that's why it's so important that we, we study the Bible. We learn what God's saying in his word because we can draw these connections and parallels, and we can, it opens our world to so much more that's out there, um, and so Elijah's out there in the wilderness, he gets this substance. He gets this food to make, it, to make it 40 days and 40 nights. And in verse 9 God asked Elijah a question. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now we know that God's sovereign, right? So Elijah knows, or God knows what Elijah's doing out there, but he is asking Elijah this question to give Elijah a chance to answer. To give Elijah a chance to express himself uh, to God. And Elijah tells God what he already knows in verse 10. He says he's been obedient and zealous, which he has. I mean, Elijah has been obedient for the most part. He's been zealous. He, he took this huge leap of faith to, uh, to kind of put, put the prophets of Baal to test. Uh, he says that the people of Israel have broken their covenant and killed prophets. That's true for the most part. But the last thing he says in verse 10 is actually a lie. He says that he's all alone. Elijah says that he's all alone. And we're going to see in a minute when we get a little bit further that that's not true. But how often is that true of us? When we, when we have a, a rough patch in life, when things don't go the way that we think they should, do we feel like we're all alone? We think we feel like we're the only ones that we're by ourselves. That's how Elijah felt in that moment. See, God was teaching Elijah a lesson. We're going to, we're going to look at this. Verses 11 through 13, this is kind of the central part of this text. This is where God God hears Elijah out, but then God responds. He's teaching Elijah something. I'm going to read it again, verses 11 through 13. And he said, this is God, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind an earthquake, but the lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake a fire but the lord was not in the fire and after the fire the sound of a low whisper and when elijah heard it he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood before the entrance of the cave and bef- and behold there came a voice and said to him again what are you doing here elijah see god sent the strong wind but he wasn't in the wind he sent, the, he sent the earthquake, but he wasn't in the earthquake. He sent this fire, but he wasn't in the fire. But then, after everything had settled down, after all these things had happened, and it was just stillness and quiet, that's where God was. See, Elijah had just experienced God through fire, right, on the mount? You know, God, God showed himself through a great, a great miracle of fire, and on that mountain Mount Sinai, this is another one of those things where when we, know, when we understand the whole story of the Bible, we, we see so much more. On Mount Sinai, where Elijah was, Mount Horeb is also known as Mount Sinai. That's where Moses heard from God in the burning bush. And that's also where Moses received the Ten Commandments. And if you think back to Exodus, when Moses received the Ten Commandments, he received them in this great moment of shaking and thunder and this epic moment where like, the whole mount was shaking. It was almost like a volcano. And so that's what Elijah, that's how Elijah expected to hear from God. He expected to hear from God in these crazy moments, fire, thunder, shaking. Well, that was in the silence where he heard him. That was the last place that he ever expected to hear God. Uh, And see, God was showing Elijah also that he is much greater than Baal. See, Baal, as we talked about, he's a god of fertility, rain, wind, lightning, He's a God of performance. People worship Baal because they wanted what Baal offered. They wanted, you know, people worshiped Baal because they wanted, they wanted fertility. People worshiped Baal because they wanted the power that he represented. But God is showing Elijah that, yes, he can be in the wind, he can be in the fire, he can be in the thunder, but he's also in the quiet and in the stillness. The way of the cross is different than the way of the world. The economy of God is so backwards from the economy of the world, that it's just mind-blowing. And that's, that's what God was teaching Elijah in this moment. Elijah was expecting to hear from God in thunder and lightning and in such a dramatic fashion. But God's teaching Elijah, hey, even when I don't work the way that you expect me to work, I am still working. I am still there. It's the sovereignty of silence. Sometimes when we think that nothing is happening, when we have exhausted all resources, when we have looked everywhere from God, in, those, in that silence, that is where God is. In the last place he ever expected to find God, that's where he was. Elijah was in a deep depression because he thought God was not working. Uh, he did not understand that God had a plan much greater than he realized. He expected an immediate restoration after that epic mountaintop experience. Um, and when the people and leaders didn't immediately turn to Yahweh, when Jezebel said, hey, have Elijah killed, He lost all hope. He thought it was over with. He thought God's plan didn't work. He lost faith. We do this so often. When God doesn't work in the ways we expect or think he should, we lose faith. I know that's the case in my life so many times. But here's the thing. We are stubborn and hard-headed. God's promises never fail. He is always true to his word. Always. And see, here's the thing. God removed the bales from the people of Israel God removed Baal from the people of Israel on that mountain, right? Whenever he, whenever he showed his great power, the people, a lot of the people of Israel realized, like, hey, this, this has to be the true God. Like, look at this amazing thing. But God removed the Baal from Elijah, the false god from Elijah in the wilderness, because Elijah thought that God can only work in certain ways. And that was, Elijah's, that, was, that was where he was wrong. And God had to teach Elijah a lesson after showing him this miraculous show of power, he had to teach Elijah a lesson in the wilderness to say, "Hey, I can do. I can do so much more than you could ever imagine." So, some of y'all have heard my story. I, I've shared my story probably three years ago. We were in Falls Park. we were, it was a it was before Easter. We used to meet in Falls Park sometimes, and you've probably heard this, but I'm going to kind of share this again because I kind of have a story in my life of a time where I was at this really high mountaintop, and then. I was in this really low place, and God worked. So I came to faith in Christ when I was, when I was young. Um, but then really in high school, uh, through, through kind of discipleship, I started to really grow in my faith and really started to understand what it really looked like to follow Jesus because I, I saw this other guy, this older guy doing it, and I was like, man, I want to be like him. What's, what's he doing? And he was truly following Jesus. And so I was growing in my relationship with Christ, when I graduated from high school, I got this opportunity to go to Africa on a mission trip, and I went on this mission trip, and really, God just taught me so much. Like, I saw these people who had nothing, like, experiencing this great joy just because they knew God and were worshiping Him, and I felt so convicted because here I am, like, living, all my needs are met, you know, but I still complain and am upset at times, so God was just showing me all this stuff. Like, I was just, I came back, and I was just on fire for God. Like, I felt like, I was getting ready to to be a freshman in college and so I moved into Clemson and was about to start my freshman year and I always wanted to to be a basketball manager at Clemson. I love basketball but I'm not very good at basketball so when that's the case you can be a manager and hand people you know towels and pour Gatorade and stuff and whatever be around it so uh, I wanted to do that and I had like went through all these links to make that happen like I made connections with one of the coaches just through this, like, through just hunting him down, basically, and asked him if I could be a manager, and got an interview, and then got hired to be a manager, so, like, I was at this, like, really high place in my relationship with God. I felt like I was going, starting school at Clemson, like, what can be better than that? I was about to be a basketball manager. I was on top of the world, and um, so I moved into Clemson, and you, like, you move in, like, a week before classes start as a freshman because you have all this orientation stuff you have to go through. So I moved into Clemson, and uh, actually, crazy thing, I was about to go to Little John Coliseum to meet the coaches and the players for the first time, like, as a manager. So we kind of had, like, a team meeting, introduced the new managers, you know, that kind of stuff. So I was in my dorm at Clemson House, and I was packing up my stuff to go go over to the Coliseum, and my phone rang, and it was this girl that I went to high school with uh, on the caller ID, and she had never called me before, like, we had never talked and so I'm like, oh, she's probably just like butt dialing me or whatever because my name's Andrew, so everyone, I'm the first person on a lot of people's contact list, so I get calls all the time from people that don't mean to be calling me. Uh, so, like, she's calling, I'm like, uh, I'm not going to answer. Like, she's probably not calling me on purpose. And then I, I on kind of the last ring, I'm like, all right, I'll just pick up and see what happens. So I pick up, and she's just like hysterical on the other end of the phone. She's like, you can sleep on my couch, you can sleep on my couch. I'm like, what are you talking about, like? I have no idea what you're talking about. She just kept saying over and over, you can sleep on my couch. And I'm like, I don't need to sleep on your couch. I'm in college. Like, I have a dorm. I'm good. And finally got her calmed down enough to under, to hear her and get her to tell me coherently what was going on, which was that my house back home was completely on fire. And she didn't realize that I'd moved into Clemson. She thought I was in the house or there still. And, um, so she had driven by and saw it. And, uh, so yeah, then I just, I was on, on my way to Little John, but I just dropped everything and like flew back to my house in Pickens from Clemson, which is like 40 minutes away, but I got there in like 15 minutes, because I was going like 100 miles an hour, and I had to park like a mile away, because the fire trucks were just like all down the road, and got there, and not a great, not a great time, like the house was completely on fire, uh, people were just hysterical, like my mom was really upset, my sister was upset, like I was just completely like, brought down from that mountaintop experience because I missed, this is a small thing, but to me it was big in the moment. Like, I missed my first meeting as a manager. I'm like, what are they, are they going to believe me? Like, I had to call the head manager and be like, hey dude, my house is on fire. Like, who does, like, who's, who says that, you know? Like, he's, he thinks, he's going to think I'm lying. Um, and then, like, you know, how am I going to start school when my mom and my sister, like, don't have a house to live in? Like, I mean, I, I was fine. Like, I had my clothes and stuff at Clemson, but how am I going like, to focus on classes? How am I going to be a basketball manager? Like, it was just like from a complete mountaintop to a complete low point. And honestly, I was, I was mad. Like, I was upset with God. Like Why would you do this to me? Like, why would you make this happen at this moment? Like If you're going to bring a fire, why can't it be some other time? Why does it have to be at this moment where I have so much going on in my life and I don't have time to deal with this and I don't have the resources or energy to, to put into this? Um. So I was, I was upset, but really looking back in the long run, God used that fire in so many ways to bring me closer to him, to put people in my life, to show me what it really looks like for community to, to gather around somebody and pull them up and support them and be there for them. And I would have never learned those things if that fire wouldn't have happened. Um, and so, you know, in the moment I was mad, I was angry, I didn't understand. But looking back, I see God allowed this to happen. I can't explain why. But he allowed this to happen in my life, and he taught me lessons through it. He taught me so much through it. And in the long run, I learned, and I drew closer to God, and I I knew God more because of this this trial, this experience in my life. Um, Man, just because God is not working the way that you or I expect him to work does not mean he's not working. Um, God was doing something in my life, and God was doing something in Elijah's life and in the life of Israel that Elijah did not understand in that moment. But looking back, uh, man, God was doing something. And that's where we pick up in verses 15 to 18. So Elijah's in in this desert. He's experiencing this low point in his life. God's teaching him this lesson about how he speaks. And then God tells him, hey, go and appoint this person to be king. Elijah didn't even know that person existed. He says, hey, there's 7,000 Israelites who have not bowed to Baal who, I'm gonna, who are going to rise up. Elijah thought he was the only one. He didn't know that there were seven. He thought all the Israelites were worshiping Baal and had bowed down to him. He thought he was the only one left. And then he says, hey, there's another prophet who I'm going to rise up after you, and his name is Elisha. And see, Elisha, if you, if you continue reading, he would see Baal worship completely eliminated. Elisha would, would proclaim amazing miracles in the name of Yahweh. He would do amazing things. See, Elijah was having this moment similar to Moses, and we have this moment so many times. See, God used Moses to bring the people out of, out of Egypt, and he brought them into the desert, and he did all these things, but God told Moses, hey, you're not going to see the promised land. But see, God used Moses to get the people there to that point where they could cross over the Jordan River. And in our lives, and in the lives of, life of Elijah, a lot of times, we don't see the big picture, but God just uses us in a small way to accomplish his plan. And that's what was happening with Elijah. Elijah thought that, hey, God, this miraculous moment just happened. God's going to, like, restore the people of Israel to himself. Everyone's going to worship Yahweh. Like, who could deny that Yahweh is a true God after this? But God was using that as only a small part of the bigger plan. Um, Elijah was never alone in that desert. He wasn't in that wilderness. We're going to look at Psalm 42. It should be up on the screen. This is David talking. This is what David said. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walk along. God does this for us. He lifted us out of the despair of sin and hopelessness when he called us to a relationship with himself. We were in the mud. We were in the pit. We had no hope. But for those of us that have put our faith in Jesus Christ, when God called us into a relationship with himself through Jesus he pulled us out of that pit. He lifted me out of despair after the fire. He lifted Elijah out of his pit. We find God where we never expect to find him time and time again in our lives. When we have looked everywhere, we have tried everything, and we have nothing left, that's often where God is. And that's the lesson God was teaching Elijah. See, Elijah was feeling this moment of pride and after this power, and he thought that God was only going to work in this certain way. But in Elijah's weakness, God showed him where his strength really is, and that's in, that's in God only. There's so many times in our lives when we think God is absent, but looking back, we see he was really working. Um, our view is so zoomed in, we only see our circumstances, but the goodness of God is not dependent on our circumstances. God's goodness is, is true, it's a truth that never fails, that never stops, and never ends. Just because because our circumstance, we find ourselves in a low place, does not mean that God's goodness has failed. If you don't hear anything else, I just want you to listen closely to this. On the cross, Jesus took the wind, he took the shaking, he took the fire of God's wrath so that we could experience the gentle whisper of a relationship with God. We deserve that wrath because of our sin. But for those of us who put our trust in Christ, by grace through faith, we're hidden in Christ. He protects us and shields us from that wrath so that we can have relationship with him. God sees the righteousness of Jesus when he looks on us. He doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see all the bad things we've done. He doesn't see our filth and dirtiness. He sees Christ when when we put our faith in him. Elijah did not see the whole picture. He knew the law, but he didn't fully understand God's plan, which was God was going to send Jesus Christ into the world to live a sinless life, to bear that, the weight of that sin and that punishment, to die on the cross, to raise again. That was how the people were going to be restored back to God. Not only the Israelites, not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles, a path for anyone who believes. Elijah thought that it was going to be an immediate restoration as soon as that miraculous power happened. But God's plan all along was Jesus, and Elijah didn't, didn't realize that. Elijah played a role, but he wasn't the ultimate, uh, he wasn't going to be the ultimate person to bring that reconciliation. It was going to be Jesus. Um, we have no reason to ever doubt God's goodness or sovereignty. We don't. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, he loved us when we were enemies. When we were sinners, whenever we were enemies of God, he loved us. How much more does he love us now that he call, we call him friend and he calls us child? We were we are never alone. We are never alone. So just quickly, what is this all, what does all this mean for us? We we see what the lesson that Elijah was taught by God. But what, what can we take away? Just a few few quick takeaways. First is that God speaks through his word and Holy Spirit. And when we know the word of God, we can much easily, much more easily discern that gentle whisper. Um and God see, God speaks comfort. Whenever Elijah was in the wilderness, when he had given up all hope, God sent the angel to give him sustenance. God provides comfort, but he also provides rebuke in a gentle way, in a loving way. And uh, when we know God's word, it's so much easier to discern the Holy Spirit speaking in our lives. Second thing is, just because we don't see God working does not mean that he's not working. Just as I mentioned earlier, the economy of God is, is different than the economy of the world the way of the cross is different than the way of the world. God does not work in ways that we expect him to. God works in his own way. And so just because we don't understand in the moment or see in the moment that God's working, it doesn't mean that he's not working. The third thing is this. When we're frustrated at rock bottom, we, should, we need to get back to our assignment. That's what, that's what God told Elijah to do. Elijah was in this moment in the wilderness. He was depressed. He was down and out. He didn't understand what God was doing, but God taught him a lesson, and then he said, hey, go appoint this person to be king, and go, go raise up this person to replace you. Whenever we're down and out, doesn't mean that our assignment ends. What is our assignment? To love God and love people, right? To, to worship God, to, to be good husbands, to be faithful wives, to be good parents, to raise our kids up in the way of the Lord, to love our neighbors as ourselves, um, when, even when we're in those tough moments, it's hard to do it, but we need to get back to our assignment as children of God. And the fourth, the fourth thing is this. Don't believe the lie that Elijah believed, that you're all alone. You are never alone. The Holy Spirit lives in you if you put your faith in Christ, and God's always with you. We're going to look at Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6, Paul says this, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. I'm gonna read that again. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. If you have a relationship with, with God, then he, then he started a good work in you at salvation. Holy Spirit entered you, you're restored to him. See, we know the whole story. We have the word, we know what happens, we know the end. Elijah didn't necessarily know that, but we do. Um, God is going to complete that good work, even in the midst of our circumstances, even when we're going through tough times, times that we can't even explain. There are people in this church who have gone through some really tough times, and I, I cannot imagine being in those situations. And I know it is so tough; it has to be so tough to be in the midst of something really challenging and not understanding what God's doing. That He will complete the good work that He started. We know He will. He is faithful. Um, hey, and if you don't know the whole story, if you don't have that relationship with Christ, we would love to talk to you. Anybody who who does have that relationship would love to share that with you. We'd love to tell you more. Have coffee, do anything you want. Play golf, whatever you want to do. We'd love to talk to you um, and just have that conversation. So I just kind of want to, uh, just kind of want to end it with this. Um, I, I, a lot of you have probably heard of of Corey Ten Boom. She was. Uh, she was this lady who, uh, back during the, the Holocaust, she helped hide, hide Jews from the Nazis. And uh, she actually ended up, even though she wasn't a Jew, she ended up being taken to a concentration camp because of, her, of what she did. And she saw the worst of the worst. She saw the, the most evil things in all of society. And her sister, Betsy, was, uh, was in that with her and was helping her. And so... Um, they were, they were in the concentration camp, and they were seeing some of the worst things in the world, and Corey kind of got a little bit down and out, and Betsy told her something. This is what Betsy said. She said, there is no pit so deep that Christ is not deeper still. There's no pit so deep that Christ is not deeper still. Elijah found that to be true in his life. I found it to be true in my life. So be encouraged. God loves you. He's for you. He's with you. He took the weight of sin so that you and I would not have to bear the consequences. Um, God proved to us that his grace is endless on the cross. He meets us in the deepest pits imaginable. Trust him, he will never fail you. Let's pray. Father, um, we just thank you so much for the lessons that you teach us, Lord. Uh, Even whenever we are in the toughest places in life, Father, when we have exhausted everything we have, we often find you in those pits, Lord. You're always with us. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. Thank us. Thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, to this earth, Father, to restore us to you, even, through, even though we are sinners, Lord. You had compassion and mercy on us, Lord. Help us to never forget it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.